0: In my Bible, I have a, a, a bookmark. It's actually a, a Christmas ornament. It was given to me by a, a dear family uh, probably about uh, 10 years ago. Uh, great family. Uh, she was on my staff at church in Plano. And, and every time, though, that I uh, pull it out of my Bible, every time I use it, uh, it brings up emotions within me. Because uh, the whole family was killed eight years ago. In a car wreck after church one Sunday morning. They, they were going home, and uh, another car ran an intersection going about 100 miles an hour, and they were all killed the father, the, the wife, uh, the daughter, and the two uh, foster children uh, that they were looking to adopting. And you know, and I think back on that and I think, why? Why did that happen? You know, when I, when I look at this bookmark, it brings up. Those painful memories, uh, that time, um, and then today, of course, September 11th. It's 15 years. Can you believe it? It's been 15 years uh, since 9/11, and uh, I know for many today, it, it still brings up painful memories. To think uh, of what happened 15 years ago today. In fact, in the first service, 9:59 when the first tower fell 1028 when the second tower fell so can you remember where you were for those of you who are old enough right about now you're still in shock you you, you probably still can recall where you were sitting who you were with whether you saw it on the television or heard it on the radio uh you know it, and when you think back on it, it it's still painful i know that uh Leading up to today, you know, a lot of History Channel and others will show uh, shows about what happened that day. And every time I watch it, you know, it, it makes me emotional still, you know, and the, the, the pain of that day. And what are we to do with those painful memories? That's, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today and over the next three weeks we're looking at pain. The, the problem of pain, our, our response to pain, our, our hiding from pain, and, and even uh, finishing up with uh, Jesus' uh, painful sacrifice for us as well. And so we're going to be looking at this issue. And this, this is one of those series that I struggle to preach. Uh, you see, because part of the problem is I have led a blessed life. I have had a, a fairly blessed life. I haven't suffered the amount of pain that many of you have suffered, uh, So I beg your forgiveness as we start this series. In fact, uh, I would quote C.S. Lewis in his preface to his marvelous book, in whom I swiped the title of this sermon, The Problem of Pain. He, he writes this in his preface. I was never fool enough to suppose myself qualified, nor have anything to offer. I, I would <laughs> amen that statement. Accept my conviction that when pain is to be borne, A little courage helps more than much knowledge. A little human sympathy more than much courage. And the least tincture of the love of God more than all. I like that statement. But when it comes to pain, most of us, we we would rather avoid it, run from it, hide from it, do anything but deal with it. But here's the thing, though. Dealing with pain hurts. It does. But I think uh, it's more painful to avoid it because we don't deal with it. Dealing with pain hurts, but not as much as avoiding it. And, and I believe that God doesn't cause our pain, but he can redeem our pain. In fact, that's the whole point of this series that I want us to reflect on, that, that God doesn't cause pain, but he can redeem it. But even that doesn't necessarily lessen the problem of pain, does it? You know, because when you're in the midst of pain, uh, logic doesn't help <laughs> at all, in fact. Uh, but and, and we struggle with the why, don't we? Why do we have pain? Why does it happen? Why would a good God allow pain in our lives? What good could come from a tragedy like 9-11? Or from a tragedy of a family uh, being killed on a Sunday morning after church? In fact, it's, it's stories like these that's one of the primary reasons that uh, many people believe there is no God uh, and that life is indeed pointless. And so that's why we are embarking to look at this question that all of us ask at one time or another. Why would a good God uh, cause pain or allow pain to happen? And this is such an incredibly important question to ask because how we answer this question has a profound impact on how we view God uh, and how we view the world around us. In fact, there's a term for the study of this, theodicy. It's the term that's used when we try to explain how a good God permits pain and suffering. Now, I know there's only just maybe one of you who care about that term, but uh, there it is for you. You can go look it up. You can Google it uh, and, and study even more because I think this is something you do need to study and look at and, and wrestle with, and we do wrestle with this. But because as I said, it's pra- uh, precisely because of the issue of pain and suffering that has led so many people from believing in God. And this is the key issue. This is the thing that most humans struggle with. In fact, for atheists, this is kind of their linchpin on why they don't believe in a God or a good God. You know, necessarily they're, they're not necessarily put off by Jesus. They're put off by the pain and suffering and the evil that they see around them. And, and we all approach this issue with our own scars, don't we? Cancer, disease, broken relationships, abuse, race, death of a loved one, loss of hope, divorce, and there's a myriad of others. Paths of brokenness and painful memories. However, for, for us to come to, uh, I believe, a proper understanding of, of pain and suffering, we ought to turn towards God, not away from God. For us to come to any proper understanding of the issue, we have to turn to God's scripture and not away from scripture. And, and pain either pushes us toward God or it can push us away from God. And, and, but the question is, how will my faith handle pain? Because if we live long enough, we will experience some type of pain, one kind or another. Uh, there's no way around it. So we better be as prepared for it as we can be. And one of the problems, though, that we we face, one of the problems of life, that we find ourselves suffering or in pain, and it seems like the world around us could care less. Have you ever been there? When you've experienced the death of a loved one or gotten the call that it's cancer and, and you're just like in shock you're and you're numb you don't know what to do it's it's hard to go about your day and and you just want to scream out in pain to the world and, and you feel numb you feel anger, you don't even really know how to feel and and you go about your your day and it seems like the world is oblivious to your pain and and you wonder how can how can that be it it shouldn't be right that the world seems just to be fine and you are broken and you know, you might go to a restaurant and you see people having fun or celebrating, uh, going out on a date, and you're, you're wondering if you can ever celebrate again in your life. See, that's where the Israelites found themselves in the book of Ezra, in the scripture that we read earlier. It's a fascinating little text that I've I've always been drawn to every time I read Ezra. In the book of Ezra, it's, it's the story of... The people of God coming back from captivity in Babylon to, is back to Jerusalem. And they're rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed earlier. And so I want to read this text again in, in, in understanding that context. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets. And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols according to the directions of King David of Israel... And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. It's all good up to there, isn't it? It's all very cool. But then it says this, But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on the foundations, wept with a loud voice. When they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish between the shouts, uh, the joyful shouts from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard far away. You know, this was supposed to be a day of, of celebration for them. They were rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. It was a, a day of great joy, but for some, it was a day of weeping. And wailing, and you know that's the way life is. For you know, you go around, and, and you might be just broken, and the world around you celebrating, and you think, "Oh, how can that be?" But that's the way life is. The people people had been long around long enough, remembered the original temple, Solomon's temple, and this was not Solomon's temple. It was gone. And the memories just rushed on them like a torrent. As they remembered, they could remember with horror when the Babylonians seized Jerusalem. They can remember with horror as people began to die of hunger. They remembered with horror as the Babylonians came into the city and tore down the city, the walls, and and breached the temple walls and began to pull, pull brick by brick off of the Temple Mount and destroyed and leveled the city. They remembered with horror as their parents were being killed and as they were being dragged into a foreign land and called to live out in a foreign land and to serve other gods. Their years of captivity and pain rushed back upon them, and they were reliving that pain once again. So on that day of rejoicing, many wept openly. And it reminds us, too, that that oftentimes we don't know what's going on in people's lives around us, do we? We don't know what what pain they may be having. And we don't see the pain that lies behind something that sometimes we think might be joyous as well. And, And we oftentimes, especially us in the West, we find ourselves disillusioned with God because He does not meet our expectations. And we assume certain ways that that God is supposed to work and when that doesn't happen it can create confusion in our minds when, when something we think is joyous and, and we see other people weeping or when we're weeping and we think we should be joyous and, and we think what's going on and we have this confusion in our mind and, and because we have assumed a certain way that God is supposed to work. Thus when we're faced with tragedy or extreme pain or horror we recoil away from God instead of running towards God. And And we're going to have to address this assumption that that many of us have because it's held by so many people of faith. And here's how the assumption goes. It goes like this. Uh, The Bible teaches that if I believe in God, lead a fairly good life and do good, that God will bless me and I will not have to experience pain and suffering. But, you know, and and we can laugh at that. But the reality is we think, well, that's not truth until something happens to us. And then when it happens to us, then when we're suffering pain, we think, this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? You know, this is painful. This is ouch. I don't like this, you know. And, and when we come up with these wrong ideas about it, and, and somehow this creeps into our psyche, and, and I know it has mine at times. You know, sometimes I might be suffering pain or something goes wrong, and I think, why is God, why is God mad at me? You ever think that? Or, or even worse, maybe God's not even there. Maybe he doesn't even care. Or, or I think I'm being punished for something. Or we look at someone and something going on in their life and think, oh, it's just not fair. What's well, not? But we have to counter this, this wrong assumption that many of us have grown up with. And this is the reason why I stress the importance of actually reading This book. Not just having it there. Because if you actually read this book and take a step back and and, and look at what it actually says, you would never come to that conclusion up there on screen. You would never have that idea. See, the story of the Bible is to how to have life in the midst of pain. The story of the Bible is about people who refuse to let go of their faith In the midst of pain. In fact, if you turn to the prophet Habakkuk... When's the last time you read Habakkuk? You should read it sometime. Habakkuk starts out like this. Boom, out of the box. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save?' Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. Yeah, I agree. Habakkuk is living in a time of evil and upheaval. His his land and his people are in the danger of destruction by the Chaldeans. and, And here's the thing, he gets no answer. Throughout the book, we don't see an answer. But just think about it. If, if, if you've read this, if you take a step back and look at all these stories that we have in Scripture, especially uh, throughout the Old Testament, we, we see these stories after story of people in the Bible. You think of Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, also wrongly accused and spent many years in prison. Think about the Israelites who spent 400 years in captivity and slavery. 400 years in slavery, how long, O oh Lord? Just think about Moses, who had to lead these people out of slavery, all the suffering that he has to put up with. Remember how Moses cried out, he just said, Lord, just take me now, I'm done, I've had enough, no more pain, no more suffering, no more of these complaining Israelites, Think about the the people of God having to wander in the desert for 40 years, barely surviving. God provides, but just barely, and and they're thinking, how long do we have to do this? You know, one of the books of our Bible is, is actually called what? Lamentations. What does lamentation mean? Grief, sorrow, weeping. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Their life was a walk in the park, wasn't it? You know, all they had to do was endure the killing of their parents, being exiled into a foreign land, taught to honor other gods, and then they, when they wouldn't bow down to the king, they were thrown into a furnace. Or how about Daniel? Same experience, except it wasn't a furnace, it was a den of lions. But think of all the prophets, too. Read their stories and, and come away thinking, I've got it easy. We just read part of Habakkuk's story. But, but we didn't read Jeremiah or Hosea, the others. In fact, sometimes when you're reading the prophets, for me sometimes I gotta just say, oh, I gotta get away from that for a minute, and go watch something on TV, you know, something a little lighter. Or the story that connects all of these stories, the story about a man who is beaten. So badly, so bloody that you couldn't even recognize him. And then he was put on a cross and convicted of a crime he did not commit and died. His followers experienced pain. Some of them were beheaded. Others got to experience the same crucifixion that he suffered. Most died martyrs for the faith. Or remember the Apostle Paul. Beaten, stoned on several occasions. Finally killed by the Romans. The Bible doesn't teach that we are immune to problems, to suffering, to pain. No, in fact, Jesus tells us this in John 16, 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice, you will have pain. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it, does he? He says, this is reality of life. You will have pain. So how do we respond To pain. And and here's the thing. This is the the challenge. We're going to have to think logically for just a moment. Although the issue of pain and suffering never has to do just with logic, does it? In fact, one of the worst things you can do to someone who's in pain is to try to speak logically to them. That does not help. Very often. In fact, they'll just say, shut up and go away. But I, I, I want us to look briefly at the logic of pain. This is how I reconcile a good God with a problem of pain. And I'm going to put this as simply as I can because the reality is, is I'm not a very good philosopher. I got a B in philosophy. So it was a low B, low B. But this is how I deal with the problem of a good God and pain. And for that, I go here. In fact, I go all the way to the beginning in Genesis. And what do we learn in Genesis 1? God is a good God. God is good. And God created the world and everything in it, and it was good. And God created us in his image. How cool is that? We're created in the image of God. And it was good. And then he called us to take care of the world that we lived in. He gave us a job. And he said, here it is. Here's the garden. Here's where you get to hang out. And they're like, wow, this is awesome. This is cool. It is good. And then God gave us free will. Free will to obey him and love him or not. And this is where it gets sticky This is where the problem comes in, because because we've been given free will, it implies that we are capable of great good or great evil. And too often, our free wills bump into each other, and they cause pain. Too often, we choose evil over good, and because of that, we have created a painful world. And oftentimes, we even say, well, why didn't God do it differently? I don't know. But I go back to my first premise. If God is good, then I believe that this world that we live in is the best possible world that we could live in, given our free will. It's not like this is a side project of his, (laughs) oh, that didn't work. No, this is the best possible world that we could live in, given our free will. I don't understand fully. But because of our free will, we have created a painful world. In fact, oftentimes, you can turn to the book of Job in the Old Testament, where Job is asking the same question. Why? Why God? And God's answer is beyond our understanding and Job's understanding. God tells Job, and he tells us, you can't understand, and I'm not giving you the answer. You do not understand because you do not know everything that goes on. You are not God. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians thirteen, twelve. He says this, now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely we don't like it when we don't have all the answers do we but the, but the answer lies in the fact that we aren't God and we have to have faith that God will make all things right this is the hope that we have in God now we don't know why completely none of us can know, there's still mystery we live with painful memories but God can redeem them that's what I want you to hear See, when, when, I, uh, when I look at this bookmark, this ornament, it brings up painful memories. Memories of a family that's no longer here. But it also brings up joyous memories. You know why? Because I, I can remember the joy in, in spending life with them. I can remember the joy in the sense that they are no longer suffering and they are in heaven. But but what is this? It's a Christmas ornament. It's an angel. And I remember that at Christmas we remember that the messenger of God came down and said, Behold, (laughs) here it comes. There's a Savior. And, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God, God is with us. This is the great thing about who God is. In the midst of our pain, he says, I am with you. Behold, I come to bring you great news of great joy. A Savior is born. And it was also an angel after Jesus was killed and in the tomb And those women, they came that first day, early morning, and they're weeping, aren't they? And what do the angels say? He's not here. He's risen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how great it is that we have a Savior, that you have given us your word that reminds us, that you are a God who who doesn't stand far off, but that you are a God who has actually come down and suffered with us. We don't understand completely why we suffer, but we do know that we have a hope and a future, that you can take our, our painful memories and you can redeem them. We can be reminded that it's okay to weep, that, that it's okay that when others are joyous, we can weep, and when we're joyous, others can weep. But we know ultimately, we rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. We rejoice in the hope that you have given us. God, I thank you. And in this moment, Lord, for those who are here this morning, who are suffering in one way or another, God, I pray that you would be present with them. For those whose suffering is is beyond what they can handle, God, I pray that you would help them to find help, whether it's swallowing their pride and and going and talking to someone or or just helping share or whatever it is, Lord, just, just guide them in this moment, I pray in your holy name, amen.